God, just come and breathe. Amen? So if you would, please, open with me in your Bibles to the book of 1 Corinthians in chapter 15. 1 Corinthians chapter 15, starting with verse 50. I'm going to read from the New King James Version this morning, but whatever version you have will be good. Paul, speaking this to the church. Now, this I say, brethren, what flesh, that flesh and blood cannot inherit the kingdom of God, nor does corruption inherit incorruption. Behold, I tell you this mystery. We shall not all sleep, but we shall be changed in a moment in a twinkling of an eye at the last trumpet, for the trumpets will sound, and the dead will be raised incorruptible, and we shall be changed. For this corruptible must put on incorruption, and this mortal must put on immortality. So when the corruptible has put on the incorruptible, and the mortal has put on the immortality, then shall be brought to pass the saying that is written, Death is swallowed up in victory. O death, where is your sting? O Hades, where is your victory? The sting of death is sin, and the strength of sin is the law. But thanks be to God who gives us this victory through our Lord Jesus Christ. Therefore, my beloved brethren, be steadfast, immovable, always abounding in the works of the Lord, knowing this, that your labor is not in vain for the Lord. And so Paul's speaking to this church. He's just finished talking to them. He's talking about the, uh, the mysteries of this glorious body. And, and even in this portion that we just read, it reads almost a little bit like a sci-fi movie. I mean, there's talks of the corruptible and the incorruption and, and, and mortality and, and immortality. And if we were to back up, he, he says things like this. There are celestial bodies and terrestrial bodies. And the celestial ones, there, there's a glory of that. And then there's a glory of another. And there, there's this glory of the sun and the glory of the moon and the glory of the stars. And, and, and also there's the resurrection of the dead and, dead. and that's what's sown in corruption is raised in incorruption. There's all these different types of glories. There's this same flesh, but the, there's not the same flesh, but there are different kinds of flesh, of, of men, one, of the animals and the birds and, and the fish of the sea, another. And so you're kind of reading this, and if you were to just stop and pause, whoa, that's really, really weird stuff. It's really, whoa, celestial, terrestrial, like at any moment E.T. is going to pop out. And, and you don't know how you feel about this when you start to look at it, like what, what have I gotten myself into? And but what Paul's doing here is he's laying a basis, he's laying a ground world a, 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 a groundwork of saying, listen, there's the natural world that we live in, that we can taste and touch and see, and we can see the, the glory of the sun and the stars and, and humanity and, and fish and birds, and we can see the beauty of nature. But there's also the reality of saying, listen, there's this, a very much, very real, even more real than what you could see and touch, spiritual world. And, and, and it's not made up of this flesh and blood. And he's given us a, a kingdom perspective of, listen, all of this is going to come to an end. There will be a day where, where we die. And, and this mortality, this, this human flesh, it'll put on immortality. And, and, and all of a sudden, we'll stand before our creator and realize, wow. And all of that stuff that it, it's just kind of hard to comprehend. It's hard to, hard to, to see because we can't see it. And so what happens is when 
there's talks of this spiritual realm, when there's talks of, uh, of the glories of God and, and all of these things that we can't see and touch, uh, for the most part, a lot of us, a lot of inside of our American Christian culture, that kind of throws up red flags. Kind of like, whoa, whoa, hold on a second. What are they talking about? I'm not sure. Because for so long, we've been taught that, man, it's, it's all about what you could see and taste and touch, and, and, and science has to prove these things. But, but the irony of it is this, that the further... See, right now, we live in an age where science has taken leaps and bounds and huge jumps within the last hundred years that, that for thousands of years before that, people didn't know. But science has shown us all of these amazing things. But here's the beauty of it. See... A lot of people like to say, well, it's, it's faith versus science. Uh, but everything that science is showing is only pointing us towards the faith. It's only confirming everything that the Bible is saying. Uh, th- there are these scientists that are doing all of this research, and, and they have this idea that if we could break human life and humanity down to its, uh, the, the most common basic element, we'll kind of find out where humanity came from. And, and, and so they're breaking it down, and, and then they have the atom. And then they said, oh, man, well, we could break this atom down even smaller to, to these subatomic particles. And, there, and then there's all these string theorists that begin to say, man, there's all these, these ways in which life comes through. And, there, and there's the atom, could, we, the thing that we thought was the thing that made up life, well, we could break that in half too. And the thing that was behind the thing, well, we could break that in half too. And they found that there's over a, a hundred different subatomic particles that they found in now. And the ones that they're finding, they're finding certain subatomic particles that, they're, they're, that they say they're finding them in group, groups and clusters of two and three, that they never find these particles separated from each other. And, and they said, that we don't know how to describe it. It's almost it's like this kind of light kind of thing. There's this kind of force and light that gather together in groups of twos and threes. But here's what's more amazing. They've taken these subatomic particles and they've studied them and put them under microscopes. And, and this is pure scientific discovery. They have found these particles that can go from one place in California to another lab in New York without having to travel the distance in between. Like, we don't know. It's, is it here or is it there? It's just it's kind of everywhere. And they come in these groups of two and three. It's like there's this three in oneness. We don't know how to describe it. It's this three in oneness. It's this light. It's this kind of thing that just is everywhere. And so it's not science versus faith. Everything that science has discovered is pointing towards this thing. And, and, and here's what's crazy. For, for thousands of years up to where we find ourselves now, the talks of spiritual talks and, and, and these things would be very commonplace. That people believed in, in, in the things of God and, and another thing beyond what we could see and taste, taste and smell and touch beyond these senses. But, but now we, we are this moment, we are this gap in history that has said, no, we're only made up of our senses. We're only made up of the things that bring us pleasure. We're only made up of the things that we could quantify and put down on paper and one plus one equals two. And if we can't prove it, that's the full summation of life. And yet for all of humanity's history before that, they're saying, listen, no, there's, 
there's something else. Something else. There's, there's, there's life. There's breath beyond us. There's, there's another world. And then there's the realization that what Paul's saying, listen here, brethren, flesh and blood cannot inherit the kingdom of God, nor does corruption in, inherit incorruption. He's saying, listen, you're not going to get there by doing it these worldly ways. You're not going to get through it by the ways that you've been taught to do it. The kingdom works a little bit different. And the reality is there's a war going on. There's very much a very real war going on between the natural ways of doing things and everything that we've been taught that this is how we do it. And then the ways that God says to do it. Do you all remember when you were kids that really amazing game called the Rock'em Sock'em Robots? Coolest game ever. And, and it was cool because one was red and one was blue, and you had these little figures, and, and they couldn't really move around. I mean, they were right there, so you couldn't, like, duck the fight. It's not like boxing nowadays where they just kind of dance around and then one hit. No, 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 you were punching the whole time. You were going. And then at, at some point, you'd, the rock'em sock'em would hit the other guy, and his head would, like, fly off, and then you would make fun of your friend because I beat you at rock'em sock'em. And, uh, yeah, that's just a cool game. No point to that. No, I'm just joking. Uh, <laughs> But like, the truth is, we are very much in a very spiritual battle, where the enemy is out to steal, kill, and destroy you. The battle is not, like Paul said, it's not against flesh and blood. It's not against flesh and blood. But here's the key. Though your battle is not against flesh and blood, the enemy uses flesh and blood the enemy uses that person that boss or that neighbor or whoever it may be in your life right now but the realization through kingdom eyes is that person is not your enemy they're just simply being used because the battle is not against flesh and blood though the enemy uses it The enemy's doing everything he can to destroy you. So we read the book of Job, and, and we think that, oh man, look at all of the things that Job went through. Man, he, he, he lost his house, his, his work, all of his cattle, all of this stuff. And, and for so long, we've kind of focused on all the things that Job lost. When the reality of the situation is, none of those things mattered at all. The enemy was after his soul. That Job, man, that you would curse God and die. See, all of those things that are being attacked in your life right now, all the things that you're going, the the enemy doesn't care anything about your house. Anything doesn't care about your car or your money or your bank accounts or any of these things. He is after you. He wants to steal your peace. He wants to steal your joy. And when we get in those moments, we have to stop and recognize that, whoa, whoa, whoa. The real battle isn't me against this person. The real battle is is this is, they're trying to steal my peace right now. They're trying to steal my joy. And too often we let them. Too often we let them. And yet we protect our stuff at all cost. We protect all the stuff, and that's, that's not even the real battle. And Paul's saying, listen here, you guys, to have this kingdom eyes to see, flesh and blood, it, it can't inherit the kingdom. And then he says this, 
He says, he, he joins in, this is actually uh, taken from Hosea, I, I believe it's in chapter 13, where he's speaking this prophecy, and he says this, death is swallowed up in victory. Oh, death, where is your sting? Oh, Hades, where is your victory? See, there's this moment where he's saying, listen, uh, uh, it, it's, it's almost kind of a, a, a sounding block, a song that he's speaking to the nation. Man, don't we wish that we could say that? Oh, death, where is your sting? Oh, Hades, where is your victory? Uh, all, these, all these things that the world is trying to throw at you. Everything it's trying to use to break you down. To be able to stand with Paul and with all of these others that says, you tried to get me, but it ain't going to work. Where is your sting? Where is your victory? And, and, and then it says this, but thanks be to God who gives us this victory through the Lord Jesus Christ. I'm sorry, before that it says, the sting of death is sin. And the strength of sin is the law. The sting of death is sin and the strength of sin is the law. So think of it like this. Think of death as kind of this monster in the closet. There's this monster in the closet and he is out to get you. Steal, kill, destroy. He wants to do everything he can get you. But the thing is about this monster, he only has one weapon. He has one weapon. One thing that can sting you and that's sin. And if he could hit you, it's kind of like a, a, a scorpion. You know, a scorpion has that tail. And it's that stinger. Once that stinger gets you, the poison gets in your body. Um, I was down in Mexico, and there was these scorpions everywhere. And there was one guy, they, they would come, they'd see these scorpions, and, and they would chop the tails off of them. Because if you chop the tails off of them, no big deal. It's just a big ant. You know, it, it can't do nothing to you. All of its strength is in its stinger. Uh, and so if you, you chop the tail off, it's, it's no big deal. Paul's saying, listen here, the, the sting of death is sin. The stinger on death, the, the, the thing that, that you are so afraid of, that its weapon is sin. And it's trying to get you. It's trying to get you. And here, here he goes even further, though. He says, but the strength of sin is the law. The strength of sin is the law. Now, here is where it kind of gets mind-blowing because in Hosea's day when he was he was saying this they were underneath the law this is pre-Jesus and they didn't have any of this and now all of a sudden Paul comes on the scene and he's saying listen but the very thing that's going to cause you to to get hit by this stinger to fall into the sin is the law the law is the thing that everyone has built their lives upon that hey this is how we know that we are good Christians. This is how we know that we are good followers of God. We obey these certain rules. And if we obey these rules, that puts us in right standing with God. And, and Paul's saying, listen, those very things that you that thought that made you good enough is the very thing that's keeping you down. As a matter of fact, you are feeding the monster. You're feeding the monster when you try to live a life that's good enough. When you think that, oh, if I could just not do these things and live this certain type of morality, live in life, then I'm a good person. And Paul's saying, no, 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 that's your problem. Your problem is you're trying to be a good person. And none of us are. Every one of us has gotten hit by the stinger, and the stinger was sin. And all of us have sinned and fallen short. 
And so if you're trying to live your life based upon being good, you're just feeding the monster. You're just feeding the monster. Sometimes, you know, we just kind of, we we get, whether we recognize it or not, we start walking with the Lord. And there's certain things that we've, you know, we, we overcome. We overcome drug addictions and we overcome you know, man, I'm not, I'm not cheating on my wife anymore. I haven't killed anybody. You know, all these kind of things. And, and if we're not careful, we could begin to think of ourselves as, I'm a good person. I'm a good person. I don't do these things that they do. And we begin to feed the monster. We begin to think of something that we're not. And we strengthen the power of sin in our lives when we begin to think that way. And and we think we're okay because the monster's just in the closet. If we just keep those things at bay, it's okay because then nobody will know. But God knows. God knows. The more kind of morally upright you become, the reality is the weaker you are when, when done in your own strength. Uh, perfect illustration of this is the prodigal son. See, we look at the prodigal son and we say, man, all that here is the story of this young man. He's gone out and he's lived the crazy life and he's done all of these things, but he comes home repentant. And his father says, hey, my son who once was lost, now he's found. Put, let's kill the fattened calf. Let's have a party. Let's do all the things. But, but what we forget about is the older son. The older son is out working in the field. And the older son hears the sound of music, and he hears the sound of a party. Whoa, 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 whoa. Hey, come over here. What is going on? Don't you, haven't you heard? Your younger brother was lost, and now he's found. He's home. We're ha- your father has commanded, we're killing the fattened calf. We are going to... And then he gets mad. Whoa, whoa. Hold, hold on a second. And so he has this conversation with his dad. Wait a minute, dad. Don't you realize I have been here all along i've been working with you in the field all of these years i I bust my butt for you i do all the right things i'm a good person dad and you've never even killed for me a young goat and yet he's getting the fattened calf see he's been feeding the monster all along and so we the question really becomes who is the real prodigal the son that was afar off or the one that has been there the whole time and just didn't recognize it because everything in his life was built upon his works and what he did and not what the father had done for him. Uh, I read a a story of this girl that had been struggling. Thank you. With, uh, right there, we're right there. been struggling with a drug addiction in and out of rehab numerous times time after time every time she'd get a rehab uh, she'd fall back fall back in it and um finally she got she got saved and became a christian and and they asked her you know why why was it that you failed so many times at rehab i mean all of these things and, and this was her response she said this it's like they had given me a broom to sweep the floor but the room was totally dark See, when we try to be good people and fit into the crowd and and try to follow Christ that way, uh, it's like we have some really good tools. We come to church and we get some really good tools, 
but we're sweeping in the dark unless the power of Jesus Christ has come in and filled your heart. Your pastor, your church, that podcast, that book, that famous person that you look up to so much, they will only take you so far. They will give you a broom, but only Jesus can light up the room. Only Jesus can make it possible for you to overcome the things that you're facing in your life right now. And if you're in here and you've been trying time and time again to do it without him, you're going to fail time and time again. But Lucas, I've been coming to church for years. You need to know Jesus. You need some Jesus in your life. Because the power of death and sin and that monster in the closet, he will get you every time. He is powerful. And he is strong. But there's one that's stronger. And Paul says it here. But thanks. But thanks be to God who gives us victory through the Lord Jesus Christ. Who gives us victory through the Lord Jesus Christ. When Jesus Christ died on that cross, he cut the tail off of that scorpion. And all of the power that came with it and everything it did to try to to trip you up time and time again. Jesus says, I'm going to take care of that for you because you can't do it on your own. He cut the stinger off. But here's the thing. Just like that scorpion, even with his stinger cut off, he's still going to try to get you. But as a believer, as a follower of Christ, see, it doesn't matter if the doctor's report comes back negative or bad. You win. It doesn't matter if the flesh and blood is trying to destroy you because you win. And it doesn't matter if by some chance it does actually take you out because in the end, even in death, we win. Even in death, we win. See, see, the Bible even tells us if the enemy really knew what he was doing on that cross, he wouldn't even have crucified Christ. Because even in death, Christ says, the grave can't hold me. Resurrection. Life and breath and the power of God. Uh, in Exodus chapter 20, uh, he's, giving, he's giving us this little thing during actually the Ten Commandments. And this is a, what some would say a very highly controversial part of Scripture in Exodus 20. And, and, and starting with verse 4, it's talking about do not make for yourself any carved images. Uh, don't bow down before them. Uh, for the Lord your God, I am a jealous God, visiting the iniquity of the fathers upon the children to the third and the fourth generation of those who hate me. But showing mercy to thousands of those who love me and keep my commandments. Now, people take that and say, what, what are you talking about? Uh, there, there, there's sin and there's stuff that happens in our life, and that's passed down to our children and our children's children. And, and then they begin to turn into this equation of, well, the third and the fourth generation. And, and see, that's, that's not the point that God's trying to make here. It, it's the exact same point that he makes later on when he's talking about forgiveness in the New Testament. He said, well, how many times should, should I forgive? Should I forgive even seven times? And so what Jesus says, man, if you've seven times 70 to which would be 490. You think that's what, well, I could forgive you 490 times. 491, you're out of here, buddy. That's what the Bible says. 
Jesus says, I've been counting. I've been counting for it. But that's not what Jesus is saying. And that's not what he's saying here. It's not, it's not that the sin would, would follow you to, to three and four and we're kind of counting these things. He's, he's throwing the illustration in between the power of sin and the power of love. See, the power of sin is powerful. The reality is whether you like it or not, the sins that you commit and the things that you do affect people more than just you. And parents, they affect your children. Not only do they affect your children, they can affect your children's children. The power of sin in your life will destroy you. The sin that you're doing that you think, oh, it's okay, I got this thing under wrap, it will absolutely destroy you. So some of you guys that think, man, I'm just kind of looking at this pornography, it's okay, it's just me, it will destroy you. It's, it's some of these little things. And you know what they say about scorpions? It's not the big ones you've got to watch out for, it's the little ones. It's the little ones that have so much venom in their stinger. And so this first description where, where he's saying, listen, he's saying, I want you to know sin is powerful. It will affect you in ways that you have no clue. It will affect your children, your children's children, to the third and to the fourth generation. But the power of love will affect a thousand generations. In other words, sin is powerful and strong, but the power of love is stronger. And you can break it in your family. You could be the one that makes the difference and makes the change because while you're in this kind of battle, the enemy really doesn't stand a chance. But don't don't just kind of think it's all good. Don't think that, oh, oh man, it's... I got that under control. No, no, no. It will take you farther than you ever wanted to go to places you never thought it would, you would be. It is very powerful. And the only way to break it is by the power of love, by the power of Jesus and the cross. And that love will affect your children and their children and their children and their children. As a matter of fact, when you go out and you leave this door today and when you show the grace and the mercy and the love of God to someone else, you have no clue on how that will impact the world. See, often we don't see it, but God sees the big picture. God sees it. The power of the love and the cross. But Romans says this. Romans says this in chapter 1 and verse 25. That they exchanged the truth about God for a lie. That they exchanged the truth of God for a lie. And, and the reality of sometimes of the world that we live in now is we would rather appear strong than be strong. We would rather appear knowledgeable than be knowledgeable. We would rather appear healthy than be healthy. Back in, I don't know, what was it, 80s, early 90s or whatever, it seemed like every week, there was a story on TV of uh, a pastor falling in the church, uh, the hypocrisy shown and all of these different things. And, and we, could even, we could turn on the television now, and we could see the pretty fragrant smell of the gospel being cheapened. You know, come in and, and you send in your $39, and I'm going to send you a, a miracle to- towel from the mountain of prayer, and you're going to get healed. Listen, that's a bunch of junk. Listen, I, I, let me put it on, hold on. Let me put it in words that y'all can understand. 
uh, the prime minister of Africa didn't will you $2 million, and if you just send me your social security number, I'll deposit it into your account. <laughs> or, or let me put it in another word. Uh, if you forward this email on to 20 more people, you will be blessed. Listen, that's junk. All of that mess is junk, all right? If you're spending your $39 to get prayed for from the dude on the Miracle Mountain of Prayer, you're getting robbed, all right? I don't know how any other blunt way to tell you. It's just junk. It's not the gospel, okay? And so what's happened is we've become very good at recognizing the phonies. I mean, for the most part. I mean, it's still working on some. And if y'all send me those emails, dude, y'all get spammed quick. Lucas, did you get my email? No. If it says FWD before it, I just delete it. I don't read read none of that mess. Anyway, uh, but what happened here is uh, we got good at spotting the scams. We got good at, I think, but here's, here's what we're not so good at is recognizing the truth. And Jesus tells a story to these Pharisees that says, listen, you guys, y'all are, y'all are washing the outside of the cup. You're making the outside of the cup look really good when the inside of the cup is filthy. So y'all kind of have this appearance to the rest of the world that y'all are the man. Y'all are awesome. Y'all are leaders. Y'all are church leaders. Y'all love God. And Jesus said, man, the inside of your cup is messed up. Uh, if I was to invite you over to dinner, now it's a stick two cups in front of you and you had to drink from these cups and one of the cups the outside of it's just beautiful it's perfect it's clean but but the inside of it is just there's just rotten nasty junk in it and and, and then the other cup maybe on the outside it's it's not very clean on the outside it looks pretty dirty actually there's kind of fingerprints and somebody dropped this thing on the ground my daughter rubbed some chocolate and stuff all over it Uh, but the inside of the cup perfectly clean I said, hey, would you like to have a drink? You got a, which cup would you pick? And you're faced with this decision. Well, see, if I pick one cup, the outside, well, I might get my hands dirty. But if I pick the other cup, I might have clean hands, but I could contract the Ebola virus. <laughs> which cup would you pick? Hopefully, you would want to be clean on the inside before getting clean on the outside. And yet, how often in our lives do we find our faith making the opposite decision? How often do we choose our churches, our pastors, our friends, based on what they look on the outside? And we forget about what's really on the inside. Because the truth is, let's be honest, sometimes we would rather appear than be. I remember when I was in college, um, I think back of a lot of the guys and girls that they would be voted most likely to see, they were, they were awesome, and for the most part, a lot of these guys really aren't doing anything, they've fallen away from the faith, um, and then, and then there, there were those in school that um, nobody thought anything of, and that, that, you know that guy, he's, he's still messed up, he's still struggling with these things. And I look at their lives now, and they are doing more for the kingdom of God. And yeah, the outside of their cup, a little messed up. But they're clean on the inside. And, I, and that's the kind of people that I want to be around. It's the kind of life I want to live. 
but we love the glamour. We love the lights and the show. Uh, this was years ago. My mom sent me this tape. I was in school and she said, man, this, this preacher came and preached at our church and uh, it was so good, Lucas. Uh, it, man, it, let me send you the tape. Oh, okay, all right, Mom. Sends me the tape. Do y'all remember tapes? Fast forward. 30 minutes later. But not only did she send me the tape, it came in a two-pack. I was like, well, surely she just sent me a duplicate. No, no. This mug preached so long that it took two tapes. I'm like, good Lord, Mom. I ain't got time for this. You know, that's why I'm looking at my... Ugh. We'll cut it off here in a minute. But she, this guy preached, and I was like, all right, I told her I'd listen to it. I'm going to listen to this tape. And for two and a half hours, this dude preached and didn't say a word. Man, this is junk. And it's not that I was judging him or anything like that. It's just he, he literally, there, there, was, there was no life and light or Jesus in his message. But, but you could tell, you could hear the crowd in the background that, man, everybody was into it. Everybody loved it. Because we love the lights, we love the glamour, we love the show. And sometimes the most holy thing, the most beautiful thing, comes wrapped in a manger in swaddling clothes and is discounted by the rest of the world. Isn't that the carpenter's son? It, isn't that Jimmy that was hooked on crack? Is it? No. See, the cross shows us that when we think we're strong, we're really weak. And some of the things I think that we think are weakness, God says, no, that's where the strength's at. See, there's this moment, and I'm going to close here in a second. There's this moment where uh, Jesus, uh, Jesus is being arrested. And he says, listen, do you not know at any moment I could call down this whole army and I could wipe you guys out like that. Call, call down a whole legion. My, my army, I mean, they got my back. One word for me, you guys are gone. But he didn't. And, and then I think about what we did to him. Beat him. Hung him on the cross. But if that was enough, they were mocking him. It's not enough just, just the pain, but the mocking part. I mean, for me, that, that, that would be the part that would get me. Like, all right, you, you could beat me or something, and that's okay. But you start mocking me, there's a part of me that just kind of wants to fight back. You know, I'll, oh, I'll show you, all right? You think you, I'll go Jackie Chan on you in a minute. And, but Jesus didn't. And the real strength was that he was able to hold back. Love kept him there. Love said, Father, forgive them. They know not what they do. Because the real battle is not against flesh and blood. See, he knew that the enemy was after something greater. He knew the enemy was after something greater. Y'all remember um, uh, Jackie Robinson, Brooklyn Dodger, first African-American to, to play for Major League Baseball? Uh, he, the story behind that, if you haven't seen the movie, uh, is it 42? Uh, his number, the name of the movie is 42, and it's a great, great movie, but there's this part, and it's actually a uh, very true story where the, uh, the manager calls um, in Jackie Robinson, and he just gets in his face, he just, and he starts calling him every racial slur and everything, and just kind of, and, and, and this is his job interview, and, and he's just getting in his face, and, and finally, Jackie Robinson says this, what do you want me to do? Do you want me uh, to... To be a, 
a guy that's not, not strong enough to fight back. And the manager looks at him and says this, I want someone strong enough not to fight back. I want someone strong enough not to fight back. See, love is being able to harness that power. Love is having the power to forgive even when they don't deserve it. Love doesn't lash out. Love blesses those that curse you. And that is real strength. You want to know how you could tell the difference between the real and the fake? Oftentimes, it's judged in the amount of pressure it can handle. See, when Jesus was on that cross, love, it, had the, it has the power to wipe you out, but it doesn't. Grace. First John 4, 9 and 10 says this, and this is love of God that was manifested towards us, that God has sent his only begotten son into the world, that we might live through him. And this is love, not that we loved God, but that he loved us and has sent his son to be sacrificed for our sins. Did you catch that? Not that we loved God, but that he loved us. See, how often do we build our relationship and our sense of morality upon the idea that, man, we love God. Well, we love God. And, and this sounds really good. Man, I, I'm a Christian. I'm a follower of Christ. I, I love Jesus, and I love God. And it, it sounds super spiritual. It's not. Because when our relationship is built on what we do for him, it negates everything that he's done for us. And the difference is, while you want to experience your love towards God, God wants you to experience his love towards you. Let me say that one more time. While you want to experience your love towards God, God wants you to experience his love towards you. And it's nothing that you could do, nothing that you could work for. And while we were yet sinners. And when we have that moment with God where we see just the power of love, we too can stand and say, oh, death is swallowed up in victory. Death, where is your sting? Oh, Hades, where is your victory? You tried to take me out, but I'm standing on somebody that's chopped the tail off of you, and we are more than conquerors, not because of what I've done, but in Christ Jesus. See, you could take me out, if I'm trying to do it on my own strength. But when Jesus got my back, see, if God be for us, who can be against us? This has been a presentation of Coastal Vineyard Church, a community of faith, hope, and love. For more information on who we are and how you can support future podcasts, visit us on the web at www.coastalvineyard.org.
Come on, be set free.